Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Uh, take your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 4, but there's a little insert in your handout this morning that I'm going to ask all of you to help with at the end of this service. And so if you would, please make sure you have a copy of that handout and that little card that's inside your handout. It is so wonderful to be with you. I am so excited about being here. One week ago, I was in Palm Coast, Florida, and uh, New Beginning Baptist Church was chartered out of this church, and what a blessing, and I know Pastor Jonathan, uh, we were two hours behind you, or ahead of you, and so uh, he was able to share with you uh, that uh, the charter and read it for you, and so that church is officially having their grand opening uh, the, today, and I know they were super excited. They've done a lot of work in their physical property, uh, they've done a lot of work in, uh, in door hanging and door knocking and inviting people to church, and it's remarkable. We have a new church started there in that area that's an area between St. Augustine and Daytona, right in the middle there, a huge residential area. And uh, I just want to report that Keith and Melissa, uh, they're, they're really doing a great job there, and I'm very thankful for their, their work ethic and, uh, and, and reaching people. And just on Saturday night a week ago, uh, before I, I met them for supper, uh, Keith was able to lead a man to the Lord, and he was in church the next day. Um, and so they're, they're reaching people, and it really is exciting uh, to see. Uh, I will say this, they, they, that in talking with them and talking with church members, they said, we've watched your services, and, um, and, and I just want to say, never take for granted your music. Do you know every single week uh, they sing a cappella? They do not have a piano player. They do not have a, 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 a recording to use. Uh, so they sing a cappella. And, uh, and that can be difficult doing that week after week. And so we are blessed. Wasn't the music amazing this morning? Let's thank all of those who were involved this morning. What, a, what an encouragement that, that was to me. And uh, I'm so thankful the, for the choir. And on live stream, they sound amazing with just this current setup that we're using. And it really has been a blessing. Again, all of those who are watching by live stream, thank you so much. On three or four different platforms, uh, there are people watching this morning. But our attendance has rebounded. And I'm so thankful that people are getting better, they're healthy, and they're back in church today. In 1 John chapter 4, I'd like to, to finish out this chapter today. We live in a world where it seems like there's a lot of things that are impossible. What do I mean by impossible? Uh, there, there are things, I, when I look at our government, man, it looks rough right now. Things look impossible with the incompetence that we see in Washington, D.C., and we see uh, the things going on militarily that, that we could question, abandoning people that were American uh, citizens in a country. Uh, the, politically, the landscape looks impossible. I'm so thankful that this morning we're not here based on politics. 
I'm so thankful that politics do not dictate whether we come and worship the Lord. I'm here to worship my Lord and Savior because of what he did on the cross. Because of, that he did rise again uh, after that third day of being in the tomb. That he offered salvation to all who would accept salvation. I'm thankful for that. But we do live in a country that's influenced by politics. And it seems rough when you see the inflation going up and there's no hope. Do you realize that right now it doesn't look like there's any hope? It looks impossible. Well, we look at this area. Maybe we have a family member we've been praying for for years and they actually thumb their nose at God, uh, at you, when you talk about you were in church and that, you, that, that, that it was a great service and there was a great sermon and there was a great this and a great that. And they go, why are you wasting your time? And you've been praying for them every day to get saved. And it seems impossible that they'll ever get saved. Maybe it's a job situation. You hate your job. You loathe the fact that tomorrow morning the alarm's going to go off at 6 o'clock in the morning and you're going to eat breakfast and get ready. And all the while you're thinking, I hate my job. I hate going in. And, and it just seems like an impossible situation. You have conflict with an employee or your boss. And, and it's just like, I don't want to go. Seems impossible. And some of you financially, you're in so over your head. And you look at the checkbook. Well, some of the younger people don't know what that is. But you look at your bank account. <laughs> and you look at your bank statement. And that credit card statement comes in. Or for some of you, multiple credit card statements. Yeah, how can I even pay the minimum? It looks impossible what's going on in my finances right now. It's like a tidal wave of debt has, has, come, has come over me and I'm drowning. It seems impossible. There are some of you, though, you have a family member or you are sick. You've been given a diagnosis. You've had the flu. You've had COVID. You have breathing problems. You need a knee replacement, a hip replacement. You're hurting some of you have been praying for years for relief from some pain that you've uh, encountered, whether through military service or an injury on the job. Seems impossible. When am I ever going to get victory over this? May I just tell you, according to the Word of God, with God, all things are possible. It may not be the answer you seek, but I just want to say God makes the impossible possible. So let's look at our text passage this morning. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we recognized the fact back in verse number 12 that no man has seen God at any time. None of us have seen God physically. However, the Bible teaches us that if we love one another, God becomes visible in us. And people can't see his essence, but they can see his actions through us. How are you doing at being Jesus with skin on? How are you doing this morning? Let's stand together. We're going to read our passage together in a responsive reading. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to finish up this chapter with God's help this morning. I'll read the even verses. You read the odd verses. There's only a couple for you to read. Verse 18 and verse 19. I'll read the even verses beginning. Uh, I'll read the odd verses beginning verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we. In this world, there is no fear in love. 
If we love him because he first loved us. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And may that be our testimony this morning. Father, it's so wonderful to worship you through song. And Father, I pray that now through preaching that you will be pleased and the lives will be encouraged and changed and maybe a glimmer of hope for some who are despondent and discouraged this morning. Thank you for being a lovingly heavenly Father. Bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Two weeks ago, we examined three assurances of one who abides or lives in this love that John is writing about. This person will have the discernible presence of the Spirit of God. Uh, this, they will have a confident confession of the Son of God. And there will be the visible outworking of the love of God. Those, those other people will, around you will be able to see in your life. This morning, I'd like to continue with this thought that God makes the impossible possible. And we're going to examine three attributes this morning of one who abides in God's love and then demonstrates how God makes the impossible possible. So here's attribute number one. Abiding in love produces boldness instead of shame. Abiding in love produces boldness instead of of shame. Do you ever do you ever see one of those sporting events and the reporter interviews the 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 player, the basketball player, the football player, and the first thing they say is, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, first of all, and then they go on and talk about uh, uh, their coaches and the players and, and the game. Does that ever make you go like, oh, I wish you wouldn't have said that? That's shame. Like, I'm, a, I'm ashamed that somebody would do that. I'm thankful that there are some athletes that are bold in their faith. What a great testimony. Well, that's good for them. They make a lot of money. money. I don't think it has anything to do with making money that they're bold in their faith. They love their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How about you? Are you bold? In your faith. Now let's break this down. For those who are perhaps visiting with us or, or uh, not regular attenders, uh, we're going through the book of 1 John verse by verse. And so we're breaking down each verse so that we can understand what it says. So that means that if you come next Sunday, we'll be in 1 John chapter 5. We preach uh, exegetically through the Bible. John says here that if our love made perfect, or that it means completed or fulfilled, that is, if we are mature in our walk with Christ, we will have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, boldness comes from a Greek word that means outspokenness. It means bluntness. Uh, have you ever met, met a blunt person? It takes you just a few seconds to know what they have on their mind. They're bold. Well, that carries the idea. They're bold in their faith. Um, John taught in chapter 2, verse 28, that we could have confidence at Christ's coming if we abide or if we have our presence in him. We have that fellowship. In chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, he taught that we can have confidence in prayer if we abide in him. Now he teaches us that we can have the same boldness at the judgment seat of Christ. If we 
uh, abide in him, uh, then he's working through us to accomplish his purposes. Therefore, to, to judge us is to judge himself. Uh, have you ever had a test uh, that you were fully prepared? You knew that you were going to ace the test. Uh, you had studied. You had prepared. You were ready for the test. This is the idea here. There's a confident boldness. I'm ready to meet my Lord and Savior. I'm ready for the test. If you mark in your Bibles or, or in taking notes, underline that last phrase in verse number 17. It says this, um, and I, I believe God just made this very real in my own life. As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. What does he mean by that? Do you, do you need to be reminded we are the body of Christ? If you've been saved, you are part of the body of Christ in this world. And what we, what we need to understand is that if I'm part of the body of Christ, I'm always representing him. Um, what he was in his physical body 2,000 years ago, we are now because we're representing him. In his earthly ministry, Jesus' identity was the Son of God in the flesh. Our identity is that, uh, 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 that of the sons and daughters of God in the flesh. Uh, that's what we are now if we've trusted him as personal Lord and Savior. His, his mission was to do the will of God. His mission was to finish what God had called him to do. That was to die on the cross for our sins. And our mission is to now carry, uh, carry on Christ's mission. That is to tell this world about Jesus Christ. His calling was to demonstrate the love of God. Our calling is to demonstrate the love of God to a watching world. People are watching you. This is amazing uh, how we are often watched in our temperament, in our attitudes, uh, and when we have no idea what's going on. A preacher once said this, we are the continuation of the incarnation. The incarnation was God became man so that man could see God. We are people indwelt with the abiding love of God so people can still see God. We have a big, big job to represent Christ, to show Christ to show the world what God is and his love for them. John says here, as he is, so are we in this world. We are not deity. Don't make no mistake about that. We are not deity, but listen to this. Deity resides in us. Think about that. We are not a God. We are not a God, but God resides in us. What a great responsibility we have to represent him well. If you had to stand before Jesus today in the judgment, as he's talking about here, would you have boldness, I can pass the test, or would you have shame, I have to hang my head, I'm not prepared. Attribute number two, abiding in love produces faith instead of fear. Abiding in love produces faith instead of fear. John says here, perfect or mature is what this word means, love. Mature love casteth out fear. 
And because we abide in Jesus, we do not have to fear. You can get up tomorrow. You do not have to fear about getting in your car and driving to work and going to work. You do not have to fear what the world has to say. Fear. There's so many people that are paralyzed by fear. Reminds me about the story I read about Johnny. Johnny was five years of age. He was helping his mother in the kitchen get ready for supper. And uh, mom said, hey, uh, Johnny, I need you to go to the pantry and get a can of tomato soup. And he says, no, I can't go in there alone. It's dark in there and I'm scared. And she said, there's nothing to be scared about, Johnny. Go in there and get the can of tomato soup. And he persisted, no, it's so dark in the pantry. And finally, mom said, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you. And so Johnny walked hesitantly to the pantry door, and he slowly opened it. He peeked inside, and it was so dark in there. And he started to leave when an idea came to him. And he said, Jesus, since you're in there, would you hand me that can of tomato soup? Uh, John says, there's no fear in love. The only reason we live in fear is because really we don't understand God's love. Um, There was a former Nazi activist by the name of Hannes Roos. He hid for some 32 years after the war, fearing punishment. He said he used to cry when he heard happy voices outside, but he dared not show himself, and he was unable to even go to his own mother's funeral. Johannes Roos was a young shoemaker when he went into hiding at his sister's farmhouse in June of 1945. He was was now 32 years later, and uh, he, he bought a large supply of bread at a nearby village named Zalna. And he was discovered. And a newspaper reporter interviewed him, and he said, "If I, uh, Hannah said, if I had not been discovered, I would have remained in hiding. So I'm happy that this happened. And throughout all of those years, he did nothing. He never left the house. He could no, only look out at the village and, and, and the valley there. He lived in what he called a paralyzing fear. I've known many Christians who are paralyzed by fear, and they live that way. May I just explain where fear came from? Fear is a result of the fall that took place in the Garden of Eden. Fear was introduced by Satan. Do you realize Adam had no fear before sin? Listen to this. Adam walked face-to-face, had face-to-face interactions with God. God did surgery on Adam. When Adam was found to be without a life's mate, God created from Adam and performed the first surgery and gave Adam his wife Eve. Adam did not even know, had never experienced the emotion of fear. Think about this. This is amazing. The largest snake in the world could come up right around Adam and he never was fearful. Whatever animal or or bug you're afraid of, They could come right up and crawl on Adam, and he had no fear. He never had the emotion of fear until sin was introduced to this world. You know what John says here? Fear hath torment. 
John says, literally it would read this way, fear has punishment. Fear has to do, not fear has to do with punishment, but fear is so encompassing, it's so paralyzing that it feels like a punishment. The word from punishment comes from a root word that means to limit or to restrain. And therefore we can confidently say it this morning, fear limits us, it restrains us, it imprisons us, and anxieties and worries imprison us. And some Christians, they barely leave their houses because of fear. Let me illustrate it practically. In the year 2022, in Tucson, at Tucson Baptist Church, all across this country, people are living with anxiety and worry and fear. Last Monday morning, I got up really early. It was 3 o'clock your time to fly back to uh, Tucson. And, uh, and I uh, went to the airport, and, and of course, we all know that when you're at the airport, they require you to wear a mask, and I had to wear a mask, and so I put the mask on begrudgingly, and, and, um, and so I went through the check-in, dropped my suitcase off, went through security. I have yet to figure this out. Someone can please explain this to me. Uh, so, here's, so I have to wear a mask. I get up to the security line, and here's what happens. The guy says, can you take off your mask? And so I take my mask off. He holds up my driver's license. You can put your mask back on. Folks, that is totally illogical to me. It makes no sense. I put my mask back on. Didn't say a word. I had a good attitude and, and, and on the outside. And, um, and, um, and I, 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 I walked through and I got a bottle of water. I was a little bit early and I had my mask down and I was drinking some water. And my mask was on my chin. And this lady comes up and she had a cane and she walks up to me. And, and by the way, it's nothing gets ladies with canes. This particular lady had a cane. She walks up to me and she says, sir. Your mask is not over your nose. Aren't you afraid of getting sick? As she had this N95 mask and had a shield on top of the mask. And I said, no, ma'am, I am not afraid at all. And she sat there and stared at me. Are you going to put your mask back up? I said, no, ma'am, I'm drinking a bottle of water. And so then she, she went off. Folks live in fear today over everything. I'm so thankful that God hath not given us the spirit of fear. And so when you live in fear, you're allowing the devil to get the victory. May I say that again? If you're living in fear and you're paralyzed by some worry, some anxiety, some fear, some situation and you're paralyzed by that, you're allowing the devil who introduced fear to Adam and Eve all the way back in the Garden of Eden, you're on the devil's side, not God's side. So I want to encourage all of us, we should not live in a spirit of fear. It is a torment. John says that fear hath torment. And so it's living in a prison. And if fear is a result of the fall, faith is a result of salvation. I'm so thankful this morning. If fear is part of the fall, I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. He introduced to us salvation at the foot of the cross. And faith that cast out fear comes from abiding in God's love. In Christ, I'm restored to Eden. Do you understand the significance of that? I am restored just back 
like it was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, as I abide in him, I begin to grasp his love. I begin to understand his love and his concern and his compassion and, and his provision for me. Sometimes I have fear, if I use that word, when it comes to my family. Oh, I, I can't stand. And if you love your family, you abide in love with your family, you understand this. If, if one of your children or grandchildren have something, you want to take it from them. You do not want them to hurt. You do not want them to have a, a situation. You do not want them to have a problem. I have a, a, a grandson in Fort Worth. His name is Bennett. And Bennett's uh, been diagnosed with seizures. And so he has seizures. If he's not on medicine, um, uh, he has a seizure. And they tried to win him off the medicine, and he had a seizure. And so he's got to be on medicine now. May I just tell you, I wish I could take that from him. I'm old now. And it would be totally fine. I want him to have a great life. And so you can, uh, is, you can have fear as one day there's going to be a call that he has a violent seizure and he's in the hospital. So you know how I overcome that fear when it comes to my family? I pray for them. Every single morning I pray by name for my three children, their spouses, their grandchildren, my mom, Shelly, um, my in-laws, and my, uh, and my grandmother, who's now 103, I pray for them by name every single... Now, well, my grandmother, um, uh, it, I pray for a healthy life, a long life for my children. I, I, I don't know if I need to set my, separate my grandma out of that just yet. But I still pray for my grandma's health at 103. I pray by name and have very specific prayer. Because I abide in his love, I know that an intercessory prayer... On behalf, praying a hedge of protection that if anything happens to my family, it's within God's permissive will. I'm, I have that supreme confidence because I abide in his love. That's what faith would do to you. I don't have that fear. And some of us, we have fear when it comes to our family and our finances and our future. Imagine say you don't have to live in fear. Faith overcomes Fear. Here's attribute number three. Abiding in love produces possibility instead of impossibility. I'm so thankful for this. Abiding in love, living in God's love, having fellowship with him produces possibility instead of impossibility. As I began uh, this morning, I said there's a lot of things that seem impossible. In verse number 19, John writes this. We love him because he first loved us. That's a great verse. Probably a more literal rendering is we love because he first loved us. We love uh, because he first loved us. His, his love for us makes our love for others possible. John now tackles the guy who says this, I love God while hating a fellow believer. Now, um, look up this way for just a second. Uh, when there's a lot of commentators who write on the Bible, and, and, and someone has said, you can borrow brains, but don't borrow character. I borrow a lot of brains. I read, uh, I, I have numerous commentators uh, in my office, and I'll pull one of those books down, and I'll read four or five of them, what they would have to say about uh, a, a verse that seems uh, pretty strong. What is John saying here? He says, people are liars. And he says, you're a liar. If you say, I love God, oh, I love God, and you hate a fellow believer. Now, 
I don't want to chase a rabbit trail this morning, but let me just add one thing about this verse as we're breaking it down. Please notice that he specifically says believers here. So there are times that the, that, that, that the unsaved world can do things that are, um, that are reprehensible, perverted, and God's justice will take care of that. Please understand, God is love when he in his justice takes care of that perverted, wicked sin. I do not have to love someone who murders people in the sense that, um, that I want to go have dinner with them and I'm going to invite them over to my house. No, they have broken, transgressed God's law. God will take care of that. You understand? But as a believer, I have a responsibility to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as a believer, if there's another believer and I say, I hate that person, John says, you're a liar if you say you love God. Is that pretty direct? You do not have, I'm so thankful you cannot get upset with me this morning. Because that's straight from the pages of Scripture. Um, John says this, a person is a liar if they do not love their brother professing to love God. John concludes in verse 21 with a commandment from God that says this, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So that being the case, realizing that I'm talking to Brothers and sisters in Christ, the majority of you having made that firm, dedicated decision, there's no doubt that you've made that decision. Is there any brother or sister in Christ that you hate, that you despise? You cannot, with a clear conscience, say, oh, I love God. Let me raise my hand to him. I love God and have hatred for a brother or sister in Christ. And we need to take care of that. We need to make sure we do not have hatred in our heart for a brother, sister of Christ. And the best way to get over those feelings is to pray for them. It's very difficult to be upset with a brother or sister in Christ if you're praying for them. And so actually on your daily prayer list, if there's somebody you just have a rub against, and oh, they just, yes, they're a Christian, and they I want to love God, but man, that person irritates me. Why don't you put them first and foremost on your prayer list and pray for them daily and watch God do a work in your heart as you pray for that brother and sister in Christ. You know what the prayer is for the wicked person? That they'll get saved. That's it. That's our prayer. Is that that, that unsaved wicked person would get saved, that they would follow Christ. But for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not to have ought between us. And so, this morning I ask you, how is it with you? Can the world see God in you? Do you love as God loves? Do you love brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so as God loves you? How is it with you? It's interesting. Henry Ford uh, he came up with a revolutionary plan for a new kind of engine. And when I say revolutionary, no one had ever heard of it. He introduced the concept of a V8 engine. 
He was eager to get his new idea into production. And uh, he drew up, sketched up some plans of what he was thinking, and, and he gave it to his engineers that, that worked there at Ford Motor Company. And they studied the idea that he presented, and they came back to him, and they said this, It's impossible. And they gently tried to tell him, Mr. Ford, this can't be done. To which Henry Ford said, Produce it anyway. And they said, but sir, it's impossible. And Ford gave the edict as the, as the, as the boss of a Ford Motor Company. He said, do it anyway. Figure it out. Stay on the job until you succeed. No matter how much time is required, I want this engine produced. Six months they struggled with this concept and design after design with no positive result. They came back to Mr. Ford after six months, and he said, good job, guys. Keep after it. Six more months, one year from the time that he introduced this concept, they told him it was impossible. And Ford told him, keep going, guys, and they did. And eventually, they discovered how a V8 engine could work. We take that for granted. You get in your car, you have no idea what engine you even have in your car. But, but he introduced, and what was impossible was made possible. And seemingly, some people are impossible to love. And Ford says, go back and figure it out. No, sir, after six months, it's still impossible. And Henry Ford says, go, go figure it out. And some of us, we've been struggling for months, if not years, in a relationship that just seems impossible. May I tell you what the writer John says? With God, all things are possible. <laughs> 